Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. This morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Proverbs 28, um, the first 14 verses, and I'm going to uh, actually do something a little different. I'm, I, I've got so much here that I'm, I have my computer because I'm going to actually read some things this morning. Um, we need, I'm talking this morning about um, wisdom. Uh, we need wisdom for the church and for the nation. We need to hear the wisdom of God. We need to reset our minds and and uh, boy, this is, it's something that we've lacked in this whole process in many ways. We pulled here, pulled there emotionally, here emotionally there. Um, we are in desperate need of uh, wisdom and the wisdom that comes from God. Proverbs um, is the book of wisdom and it begins in verse 7 of chapter 1 laying out, it says this profound statement. It says that the beginning of knowledge, wisdom, begins with the fear of the Lord. And those um, who despise wisdom and knowledge are fools. But the beginning of all of this begins with the fear of the Lord. And um, renewal, folks, we're in this series, Revival, Church and Politics, renewal of the fear of the Lord is essential, essential and central to the reviving of the church, of an individual soul, and of a nation. Let me say that again. Essential to the reviving of an individual soul for salvation, to come to know God. Essential to the reviving of the church and essential to the reviving of a nation is a healthy renewal of the fear of God. And we in desperate need of that today, right? Um, let me uh, say, I just want to read something here, and I, I hope you understand this and listen carefully because this is critical. God does not need to raise a king or a president, or a ruler to spark revival. God does not need a king, a president, a ruler to spark revival. Often, sometimes he, he does. He sparks revival with, that, with, the, with the ruler. But very rarely, you know, most of the time when God sparks revival, you know what it begins with? Throughout history, a small group of people, a small group of children of God who come together and they blaze heaven for God to move. Sometimes just starts with one person who's on fire for God and wants to see God move and to see their life and their church and their nation maybe set on fire for God. You can track this all the way through. Look at Daniel and his, his boys in pagan Babylon for Pete's sakes. What sparked revival? It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. It was a few teenagers, by the way, who set their hearts on God and set an entire pagan nation on a different course, right? And so folks, I think it's very important for us to understand God does not need a president to spark revival. Doesn't need a ruler, doesn't need a certain party, whatever party it is. He's looking, right, for people who are on fire for God, who blaze heaven to see revival take place on this earth. And I just think it's important for us in this understanding that what's required is the fear of God, right? Not, not, not uh, a, a fear of other things, right? For fear to drive us. When faith drives us, guess what? The fear of God rises up. It's kind of a strange thing, right? If we fear God, guess what? We don't fear anything else. We're free from the fears of the world. When we fear God in a healthy way, we have a respect for him, Guess what happens is we, we, we get free from the fears of everything and we operate by faith because we trust in God to do something great, right, in our lives. So um, just a couple things before we get in here. Um, I just want to set straight as I have looked and observed what's been going on here in these, in these weeks. Um, uh, boy, I, uh, 
I've, I've heard, and maybe you've heard somebody say, well, I'm not, I'm just, I'm voting for Jesus. Anybody heard that? Right? I, I just want to throw out to, to, let's never use that language. Okay, that, that is not reverent language. Because let me just put it like this, is you don't get a vote. Nobody gets a vote. Jesus at the right hand of God. He's the son of God. He's Lord of lords. He's the one who spoke this creation into place. He's king of kings, Lord of lords. He will return to make things right again. You don't vote. Nobody gets a say on who he is and the position he reigns. And he is on his throne even as we speak. And he's never left it. He will leave it again to come back to this earth and to fulfill his promises on this earth. So this idea of I vote for Jesus Get that off your tongue. It's not reverent. You don't get a vote. No one else does either. He's king of kings, regardless, right? It requires reverence and a bowing, right? A coming to him, to see him for who he is, to receive by grace his glorious uh, salvation, what he's done in this earth. Second thing is, maybe you've heard this, you know, this idea, I've heard it batted around. Who would Jesus vote for, right? Heard that one? Who would Jesus vote for? Get that off your tongues. That is ridiculous language. Because here's the reality, and we're gonna, we could look at uh, Proverbs 21, the wisdom that is here. It, I'm going to show us in a minute how amazing this book is. Um, but the Lord, the king is in the Lord's hands. He moves him where he wants. He'll use whatever king is in there. And here's the, here's the reality of that is that you know what is God's focus? Do you know in the world? Look at the scripture. What's God's focus? Is his focus on who's reigning on the earthly throne, the governments? Was he concerned really about the Caesars? Which Caesar led here there? What is God's primary concern in the world today? It's his people. It's his family. From the beginning, God is concerned about building a family. And he builds his family, and it's to expand and shine the light to bring others that would want to be a part of that family into that family. He's concerned about his family, and he's concerned that his family is ready for Jesus' return to come, that it would be holy and righteous and ready to receive the king. And sometimes to be holy and righteous, guess what? God needs to what? Afflict his church. And put it under stress. Because it's only when tough things happen sometimes for all of us that we reach out to God. Right? And that we get right with God. And so God will use, and throughout history, he'll use anybody for his purposes. And to know what God's purpose is, to claim that, we have to be very careful. Right? So any language of who would Jesus vote for is a complete abuse of who he is. Right? And his sovereign work um, on the earth. He's concerned. Is his church going to be holy? And he goes, again, God moves. He doesn't move through governments to bring about things. He moves primarily through his church to bring about change. That's the change he's desiring, right? Which is an awakening to the reality of who God is. And his love for people, his grace for people, his desire that people would come by grace and receive his goodness and his salvation and be set free. To eternal life, right? Um, the kingdoms of the world are passing away. Away, right? But the kingdom of God and the family of God is eternal. And that's what we should be setting right, our eyes upon. So let me just take us on a little tour here, gang. If you're in the book of Proverbs, I just want to show you. I think I mentioned last week that anybody in business, anybody in politics, anybody, regardless, is this book... It, 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 there's so much practical wisdom. I, I would say someone a long time ago said, you know, read a proverb every day. Even just read one verse of the proverb every day and just fill your life up with something very practical that you will be able to use throughout the day. But I just want to take some little journey here to say, how, oh, how things would be if we, and, and this is all sides politically, all people, would heed just this wisdom right here, okay? I'm going to be, we're going to dive in here on, in 28, but um, let me just, I'm going to go backwards and then forwards just to give you some of the things that, um, um, that I've been meditating just to point out some of these. Um, so going backwards from 28 to Proverbs 29, verse 8, scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. 
that applicable? Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. Verse 18 of 29, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Where there's no willingness to heed revelation from God, the people cast off restraint. Lawlessness comes, right? And then um, just a little journey back the other direction. Just some of the ones that I have um, underlined here in the book of Proverbs. 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. Your character, who you are, is a thousand more times more valuable than riches, right? And to know that you have favor from God, that's, that is of worth more than any silver or gold, right? Um, 21, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord who... He turns it wherever he will. Trusting in the sovereign hand of God, right? Proverbs 18, verse 1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Isolation kills. Don't isolate. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride before the fall. Verse 1 of 16, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Just meditate on that when it comes to wisdom, right? In making decisions and trusting the Lord. <laughs> what about Proverbs 15:1? A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Man, how about if we just across the country apply that in our political dialogue with each other, right? Wouldn't that be glorious? So much wisdom in here, folks. Just amazing to set it on our heart. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Man. Meditate on that one. Man, I could keep going, but look at Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Man, watch over your heart. Man, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left, or turn your foot, but turn your foot away, right, from evil. Of course, Proverbs 3, every bit of it, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Whoa. And then all the way, we could just keep going, but just back to chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It begins right there. The respect, reverence for God, a looking up to realize that we aren't wise in our own eyes. And the prophet, we're going to see as we look at Proverbs 28 here this morning, um, some of that. But those, that's just a little taste, just scratching the surface, folks, of the incredible practical wisdom that's found in this book for us to heed and, and take in and meditate. Lord, um, and again, if we, read, we can read this just as practical, but the fleshing out of this is only going to happen if I have a relationship with God and the Spirit of God is allowing me to walk in that truth, right? So if you have your Bibles, um, turn to Proverbs 28. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 14, and then I'm just going to walk through some thoughts this morning as we just kind of put our minds on this idea, Lord, we need such wisdom, right, today for the church, right, for for our nation, and Lord, may, it, may you bring it forth, Lord, through your children, into the church, out into the culture, Lord, today. Here we go, Proverbs 28, verse 1 through 14. The wicked flee when no one pursues, 
but the righteous are bold as a lion. When a land, a country, transgresses, it has many rulers. But with a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability will long continue. Mm. A poor man or a ruler who oppresses the poor is a beating rain that leaves no food. Mm. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Wow. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit, in other words, taking advantage of the poor, gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Whoever misleads the upright into an evil way will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will have a goodly inheritance. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man will, who has understanding will find him out. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. Wow. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. The word of the Lord. Wow. Well, there's a lot there, isn't there? I don't know how... We're going to have time to get to all this, but we're going to take a stab at some of this um, this morning. I just want to throw out some thanks, folks. Um, again, the central idea here is that renewal um, of a healthy fear of God is absolutely essential to any revival, starting with the personal soul, to a church, to a nation. Any time revival comes, there is always an awakening of the fear, a healthy fear, reverence, right, for who God is. Without it, there is no revival. Without it, there's no salvation. We cannot come to Jesus without a healthy sense of the fear of God, a reverence, a, a understanding our sin, our need for a Savior, right, to forgive us um, as a people. So, um, and with that said... I love this, this first verse, right? The wicked flee. And I'm going to, right now, I'm just going to walk through verse by verse here. And we're just going to talk um, about these, kind of break these verses down a little bit for wisdom. With this idea that we need to press in after the fear of the Lord, that we may gain righteousness and wisdom so that we may be bold as lions. And that God's people would not hide away, but that we would be bold as lions in, in other words, what's fanning that is a righteousness, is a genuine wisdom from the Lord, not a earthly, fleshly, political wisdom, but a wisdom that flows right from the Lord. Is He desires His people to be bold as lions. Um, that's what He has for you. That is the overflow, right, of um, a healthy sense of being revived in the Holy Spirit, right, taking hold of, of, our, um, of our hearts. We cannot have a social order where there is not value and understanding of what is righteous. It is impossible to have a healthy social order unless there is a healthy understanding of what righteousness is. Okay? So I just want to set the stage. This isn't to be gloom and doom, but I just want to set the facts straight. For decades now, our educational system has, and I'm going to talk more about this because it's important for us to understand what's going on, but we have taught our children now multiple times, multiple things. I have, I'll get into where they've come from later on, but um, that there is no ab objective reality or truth any longer. And with that, with that idea has come a whole slew of other, right, other things. And um, that there is no right, absolute truth any longer. So the idea, our children are being taught today in higher education everywhere else, that morals are a social construct. 
What is right and wrong is something that we construct in our little groups, our little tribes, our little activism in the sense of, of our language, our power of reestablishing power structures. Those are how we create morals, right? Um, or, or across our educational path today, the idea is deconstructing right, the systems. And by the way, all those are the biblical systems of righteousness that were built into our nation are completely under attack today and being knocked down. The other thing that um, our children have been taught and pounded home to them is that your um, human nature is separate than your biology. So it's deconstructing things so we all can be, quote, set free to what? To go after liberty of whatever we desire, okay? And um, these have massive ramifications for when it comes to understanding morally what is right and wrong. And we're a nation adrift with that. We have bought into the whole postmodern, right, lie of the progressive secularism that has moved like a tidal wave into our country and it's crept right into the church and there's a whole progressive... Christianity movement today that has adopted all of these principles and, and look at the scripture completely differently um, and has led to a complete unrighteousness in the sense of what God calls out as righteous. And so it's important for us to understand, right? What is righteousness? What is it, where does that come from? How do we, is it a moral construct? Is it, I mean, a, a, a cultural construct that we can come together and we just, well, what's right, we think's right, what's best for society is that, are we capable of determining righteousness? Well, that is what we've taught our children. That is what we're operating under here. But that is not what God calls us people to. It's only the church that can establish a foundation of righteousness and that God sets the standard. And he has set the standard. And that ultimately, the idea of being righteous is the gospel itself, right? It is saying that righteousness comes by faith, receiving the righteousness of God. And until I do that, freely receive him, is that I don't have the Holy Spirit and the ability to even be righteous, to take righteous steps towards obeying him and following him. The righteous will be bold as lion. There was a, a restoration, revival comes as a restoration of the fear of God. What happens there is a restoration of understanding the righteousness, holiness of God. And, and we see in the book of Acts, what it was it that characterized the body when they came together, it was holiness. It was a sense of awe because of the glory of God and the righteousness of God. And a renewal among God's people of wanting to please God and be right with him, Right? And that just blesses, as we're going to see, that brings a blessing, right, to a, a nation, right, and a, and a culture um, that's out there. So, um, and the, I love this verse, again, the wicked flee when no one pursues. They're always looking behind their back. Fear drives, not faith. And when fear drives us, we're always looking behind our back. We're always, our life is stamped by what's happened in the past. I'm always looking back. I'm always dragging my past behind me that's holding me back. I'm in fear. I'm in bondage to that. I am not living under the freedom of the gospel rather than what? A bold is a lie. The righteous who understand the free gift of righteousness that the Father sent the Son, right? Who had no sin to be sin for us. That what? That we would become the righteousness of God. So we could be bold as lines looking forward towards what God has for us. Rather than being bound by what's behind and always looking behind in fear is the righteous or to live by faith, right? So we have a lot of work to do in reestablishing the idea of righteousness. And you can't go out and call other people to righteous living unless the church is modeling it itself, right? And we've got that backwards, right? The Lord is humbling his people until we get that right, right? So let's press in, right, to the fear of the Lord and gain righteousness and wisdom that we might be bold, right, as lions. Verse 2, when a land, or that word in the Hebrew could be country, when a country transgresses, trans, well, transgresses, it has many rulers, but with a man of understanding and knowledge its stability will long continue. 
well, there's a lot to say here, but you look at the Old Testament. What happened when a righteous king was ruling, like King David? Peace across the whole land. There was unity. There was a blessing, right? Um, but look what happens when, when, that, when you had corrupt kings and leaders and everything. It was, man, one got assassinated after another. It was this turnover. There was chaos. There was, right, there was not a, a blessing in the land. There wasn't stability right, in the land. And it says when a country transgresses. So the, the problem is not the focus on the leader. The focus is on what's going on in the country. Is the country rejecting God and moving towards Something else, like Israel did? Well, that's exactly where we're at. We've embracing a progressive, secular worldview at a, at a rate that's it's colossal, right? And um, that, doesn't <clears throat> that will come with a consequence for us as a nation, right? That we could talk a, a, a lot about. Um, boy, all right, I'm going to go here. Some of this stuff is you're going to have to uh, take and think on it. We can talk about it later. Part of this deconstructing that's been happening in our schools and everywhere else is hierarchy and patriarchy are evil. Have they been abusive in the past? Absolutely they have. But let me tell you, this is very critical for us to understand. They're God-given. The Trinity itself is hierarchy. The Trinity itself is patriarchy. Everything that breathes out from God, the most powerful form of government, right, is when there's a godly leader. You take a company, you take a group, it requires, you take the disciples, they needed a leader. This idea of just knocking, deconstructing everything down, folks, it brings weakness and brings confusion. God has set it up, right? There is certain hierarchies. Now, oh, have they been corrupted? Absolutely. Those things need to be addressed, but not a total deconstructing, right, of systems, family structure, society structure. Again, I, I don't know. I, again, you want to talk to these people and say, hey, what's the end game? What's the vision for a nation? All this deconstructing idea of, of changing your biology, changing the definition of family, changing all this. What's the end game? What's the vision? Where is that going to go? Is that going to go towards a healthy society and structure? I, all I can tell you is nowhere in the world, in all of history, has there ever been a healthy society or structure based on those principles. It has always moved towards destruction, period. And that's exactly where we're headed. And that's the problem, is that they don't have an end game. They're buying into this, and this is a blindness, buying into things that are destructive, without a sense of what's the point? Where, where is the end game in this thing? Some people think it's socialism, that somehow that's better than capitalism. Folks, again, capitalism, more than any other governmental system, economic system, has blessed more people in the world than anything else, bar none. That's a fact. Nothing comes closer to liberating poverty, liberating people, bringing health and blessing around the world like capitalism. There is no argument there. It's not even close. So this idea, all right, 70% of millennials are embracing forms of socialism. The question needs to be engaged, why? I say, Steve, that sounds awfully political. But the problem is, or not the problem, but these things, this is scripture, right? Personal responsibility, right? Unleashed, and I could go over the verses, we'll look at some of these here, right? That make for liberty. And these are things we need to engage and, and think about. Verse three, a poor or a wicked ruler, that in the Hebrew could be wicked man, it says, some of your Bibles might say, poor man who oppresses, but a wicked ruler who oppresses the poor is like a beating rain that leaves no food. Man. And we see this throughout history. If you've been to some, you know, uh, developing nations, you've seen it. Is that when the government's corrupt, what happens? The poor never get liberated. No matter how much poor, take Haiti. We've poured billions of dollars into Haiti. What do we have to show for it? It's because you have a corrupt corrupt, corrupt government. And they just beat down, beat down the poor, right? And you see, I, could, I could take you around the world, right, to show this is what happens over and over again, and God despises this. And, um, and for us, the wisdom here of, of this is understanding God is serious about taking care of the poor. 
And um, the question in our nation is, what's the best way to do that? And I'm not going to get into all of these issues except to say this. Um, a couple things. One is that um, Jesus takes the poor seriously. And biblically speaking, um, the local church, the local community is primarily responsible, not the government. That's not Romans 14. That's not how God set up government to take care of the poor. He set the government up to protect and do the basic things. He, the responsibility is my neighbor, to love my neighbor. And again, I could go over and over and show this. should be common sense. So when we have this discussion, we need to flip it around and say, listen, we need to come to some middle ground. Yes, the government needs to be involved somehow, but the reality is the main bulk of this has to be, if we're going to see change in the inner city, change in a community thing, it can't be looking out there and, and just saying, well, I'm just going to pay more taxes and have them take care of it. It must be brought to the responsibility of the ones who live with each other. Um, this is a biblical principle all through right, the, the Bible. So we need to engage on, on these kind of, of things to understand this um, you know, clearly. Um, boy, um, yeah, okay, here we go. Um, I'm just going to give you some things to think about here. Biblically speaking, when the Constitution was written, let me ask you this, is health care a right? Is an education a right? Is that a right? I could go down a list of things. Is, is it a right? Do you have the right to an education? Does anybody have a right to health care? I just go down the list of whatever you want to throw in there. You know, that's not the Constitution, and that's not the Bible. Do you know that? All through the Bible, it's personal responsibility, liberty, too, as... The scriptures say, if you don't work, you don't eat. It is to serve, the church was to serve the widows who were faithful, not just anybody. And then there's to overflow from there as we you love and reach out to people you run into. Out in, but there was to be a strong principle of responsibility. And the conscience says, you have the right here to pursue what? Happiness. You have the right to pursue these things. You don't have a right to them. Nowhere in the Bible will you find anything from the beginning to the end. Matter of fact, you will find great judgment upon a people who entitle others to, I've got a right to all these things. And if you just look historically, when entitlement reigns up, a destruction comes in a society. These are biblical principles. This, I'm not talking politics now, folks. I'm talking biblical principle that the church has not engaged with properly to understand how to flesh these out in a healthy way, in a healthy dialogue in our world today, right? Um, it's to understand how Jesus and the early church operated. There was zero entitlement. There was always a personal responsibility, even when Jesus engaged people. There was no such thing as a, a handout, there was a sense of, yes, let's bless, let's strengthen, let's help, so that they might, what, rise up and get out of that place of dependence, right? There's a lot of things here, folks, that we need to, in the wisdom of Scripture. Verse 4, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. Whew. The law. It's important to understand what the law is. The law is what? It's Ten Commandments. It's the law of God. That since I'm looking to God for an understanding of the law, the moral idea of why we have laws, why we need laws. Again, our constitution, the whole balance of power was set up on the principle, the biblical principle, that we're <laughs> sinful people and that we need checks and balances because guess what? When money and power comes, we're going to sin. We're going to take advantage of those things. Right? We need checks and balances. I need accountability in my life. So do you. That's what the scriptures say, right? This stuff was built in, right, to our, our, uh, our constitution. But when we forsake the law, when we forsake the understanding of where that comes from, and I, again, back to what we've taught our kids to think and deconstruct the law, morals, everything else, structures in society, 
is it, it changes the interpretation. So the postmodern interpretation that our children have been taught and are taught in everything from elementary school all the way through higher education, I'm going to wield it down, make it simple, is that when I read a book, is that it's not so important what the author, the original meaning was, it's what's important for me. This is huge. It permeates our culture. Well, that's what that says to me. Right? And folks, that's, this, is, this is the violation of biblical understanding 101. I come to the scripture. I don't come to it with, well, that's, uh, I think that I'll take this. I'll pull that. No, I don't like that. Pull this. And no, we come to it, Lord. This is the word of God. What was your original intent for this word? What was the original meaning of the world? I don't bring my culture and my idea, thrust it upon it and make it say something that it wasn't originally meant to be. And only when I get to that point am I able to healthily apply the truth of God to my life of how I respond to it. In other words, God's word doesn't respond to your emotions. I take my feelings and submit them to the word of God. But what we've been taught in teaching our kids is I take my feelings and I bring them upon the word of God. And folks, just this has permeated. So let me just get real practical with this. Why it is absolutely critical that anyone that steps on the Supreme Court is an originalist is this issue right here. This is critical. What do we mean by an originalist? It's because they'll interpret the Constitution according to how it was originally meant to be interpreted. Not as my feelings or as culture or times have changed, so we need to redo it. It loses all meaning at that point. That should be common sense, right? And folks, it's the same thing. Progressive Christianity today, what's happened with progressive Christianity is, is just this. Is that we've grown up in this educational system and I bring my feelings and my ideas to the scripture and to make the scripture conform to what I think. And that eliminates this as authority. It eliminates a person from that's forsaking the law of God. And that gets us into a whole slew of big issues. Does that make sense, gang? And so again, you say, whoa, Steve, that's kind of political, right? It's not, it is political. It's biblical. You need to understand why it's absolutely critical that you have originalists sitting on that court. If you don't, guess what? They're going to bring culture into it. And folks, just as important, it is critical that you have a pastor, that you have leaders in a church, that when they read the Bible, that it is the Bible that's the authority, and it's the original intent of God's word. It is not times of changing, so we need to bring our feelings and culture into what the Bible means. Right. It's a frozen story. Right. So, I, I just throw that out for you to think about. And as you engage your children on this issue of interpretation, they are being taught over and over again, right? The word that, that it's their feelings, it's, it's you can come and bring your, you are now the author, not the text. And you bring that into it. That only reaps what the scripture says, which is ultimately wickedness. Those who forsake the law, they praise the wicked. Those who keep the law, they strive against them. And we have this striving right now. It's in the church, folks. A striving of, are we going to stand on what God's word says, what he originally meant, what was uh, consistent throughout history? Or are we going to let culture and what culture is saying, right, and secular progressives and what it says and, lit, uh, and bring that to the scripture? There's a whole progressive Christianity movement right now that has done just that. Every bit of the liberal, all of our denominations right now, why they're, I'll give you one, why are they dying? Because the presence of God is not there. Because long ago, they took this interpretation into the scripture and they went liberal in the sense of that they took a wrong understanding of the scripture. They, they robbed it of its authority. And you know what? God does not hang around with that. Again, wickedness takes over, right? Does that make sense, gang? Right? Some of you are going, wow, Steve, that's so political. It's biblical, critical that the church heeds this issue and shines a light and engages a culture right to understand wait a minute 
if we, if, if we don't understand and read this way and how we even read something, right? It changes the idea of how we gain knowledge, right? Epistemology for those of you who are philosophers. And we've changed that in our schools again. The understanding of epistemology, how we gain knowledge, is completely thrown up. It's completely deconstructed today. It's a great conversation we need to. What does the Bible say? How do we gain knowledge? The fear of the Lord. It begins with the fear of the Lord, which means we come to the Lord and we submit our feelings and ideas to Him and His Word and, and let Him right, form our feelings and our ideas about all of these things, right? Without revelation, folks, all soon will be relative. Without revelation from God, without the preaching of the true Word of God, all things become relative. Does that make sense? Moral relativity. Everything becomes relative without divine revelation from God. Verse 6 or 5. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Um, Just think on this stuff, folks. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord, they understand justice. The whole social justice movement today, folks, has been completely hijacked by what I just described, progressive sexualism. We can unite on social justice. We need to be social just people, but not when you understand what's the movement behind it, right? Um, it's bringing great destructive things, right, in our, in our culture. And we have to understand what is justice again. What is justice? What's the foundation of justice? And if we don't have, what does God say about that? If, if I just go out there and make it a moral construct, we can define what that is. Well, that's why people, that's why we had so many people in our country condoning looting and lawlessness. For them, justice, that was justice. Do you know that? And I'm not talking about a few people. I'm talking about a bunch of young people who've been taught and embrained with the idea that this is okay because they deserve it. It's lawlessness. They have moved towards a complete misunderstanding, a complete lawlessness, right? A complete misunderstanding of what true social justice, right, should be all about. There is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Ah, folks, um, and don't think about somebody else when you think about ourselves here. Riches will either corrupt our character or they will confirm our character. Riches will either corrupt it or they'll confirm it. Riches in and of themselves have a corrupting force. Always, right? The richer I get, the more I'm, the more I'm, 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 I'm isolated. Um, the wisdom, the wisdom of God. Watch out! Because with wealth comes power and those two things together, man, they can really corrupt no matter how much you have, Right? The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding. But uh, are you keeping up with me over here? Thanks. <laughs> the one who keeps the law is a son with understanding. But a companion of gluttons shames his father. Um, just think of the prodigal son, right? Again, the importance of, of knowing the law, of knowing these things. A child of understanding. Um, there's a direct relationship between our friendships and keeping the law. Our friendships form how we think, right? More than we'd ever realize. And naturally, a child that does, is not raised on the law of God picks bad friends, right? Our friends corrupt if we're not wise in understanding the context of truth and what binds our relationships right together. Hence, even a whole church, right, community, Uh, the importance of that thing. Um, Verse 8. Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. Again, this is speaking about abusing the poor with with monetary things. It's um, it's just critical, right? Again, that we understand how to use our our money, right, in in a biblical way and watching out for the poor, taking care of our neighbor, taking care of our communities, right? Being engaged, even globally, right, as a church on mission, right? Verse 9, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Um, man, 
um, again, here, folks, there's just so much here. If we turn um, our ear, if, this, if the Word of God is not forming us, then even our prayer is that that's strong language, isn't it? If I come to this, if this is not the authority anymore, but culture is more my authority, what happens if my, my prayer is not going to, and I, th- I just think the church needs to wake up and, and, and learn maybe from this experience, is, has culture formed more our thinking on something or has the word of God, right? And, and the power of our prayer, right, to bring about re- personal revival, church revival, and national um, revival. Um, 10, whoever misleads the upright into an evil way will fall into his own pit. Um, I just, I, I want to give you uh, just the law a little, when, it, when we talk about the law all through here, I just want to tie to one piece of the law, which is the ninth commandment. This would be Exodus twenty nineteen. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's commandment number nine. And maybe some of, we, we've heard it, do not lie. But actually, it makes, it's a little more powerful when you take it in its original text, which means God says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Um, boy, if our media, if our, can you imagine if just public, all the noise, if we would just heed, and it's only the church, do you know, that can have that influence? Is look, let's not f- talk falsely about somebody. If, if it's a fact, let's put it on the table, but let's not throw lies and things out there. And, and folks, on both sides, all sides right now, we're just bearing false witness of each other. It's just common, you know, uh, practice on social media. And so it says that those who mislead the upright will fall into our own pit. Because guess what? You start talking falsely, right, against someone lying, right, about somebody's character, bearing false witness about somebody. Guess what? It just comes full circle back to us, right, in, in a real tough way. Number 11. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out again. Wealth has a way of blinding us. We think that we know more because we have more money or that we're more successful. Not so. Not so. And remember, we're all wealthy here. Don't think about somebody else. That's us, right? When the righteous triumph, this is beautiful, verse 12. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. Man. Just, just dwell on these things as you think about what's going on. Wisdom here, right? The righteous, when they triumph, right? there's great glory, right? There's, there's like this freedom. Just read the stories of David when he, what happened, right, to a, to a nation or even a church when glory, when righteousness takes over. Um, man, there's freedom. There's genuine liberty, right, that, that triumphs. Um, but boy, when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. And uh, boy, I've experienced that very clearly in certain places traveling in the world and may that not be the case in America, right? Verse 13, just two more. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. You've heard it before, nothing hidden can be healed. The the power of this, right? And you know it, right? You know the people who, whether they're celebrities or others, when they really mess up, the ones who come right out and they confess it, what happens? It usually goes over. People have mercy for them. But the people who keep fighting it, what happens? You lose mercy. You lose your character. And folks, again, to apply this to the church is we must be living in this place of, of the gospel of, hey, not to conceal, but right, we're to be a, a repenting people. So we receive the grace and the mercy of God. Um, and that's good news, folks. That's the good news of the gospel, God's mercy that he wants to pour over us. Final verse, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And that's how it sums it up, isn't it, doesn't it? Whoever fears the Lord, okay, blessed, right? And that's a powerful word. That means all the favor of God, blessings upon Right, the one who fears, but the, boy, the one who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And and again, this this begins with our 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 standpoint with the Word of God. Am I willing to receive it and bring my life to to the Word of God and have it speak to me um, in this time? And so, folks, I think just in closing, um, man, let's let's take this wisdom. Just, just meditate on some of these. And it, it, the power of the word of God to form us, Derek, you can come on up, is, is profound. Um, 
And Lord knows we need right now just such great wisdom, right, for, for uh, the church and for our nation, right? Um, but again, as I said, revival, it's, it's not primarily sparked by presidents or governments. It's primarily sparked by what? By God's people who get involved. And they first, we first begin by getting right with God, and it's like a fire that takes over in God's church in the sense of an awakening to the reverence of God. It starts with my own life of being right with God, realizing, Lord, I need renewal. I need to think about these things and bring my life and my thinking and my viewpoints and my politics back to submit it to the Word of God. What does God's Word say on this stuff? And uh, boy, that's when the Spirit of God moves. That's when heaven opens. Right, that's where true revival bursts, and there's a, a fire among God's people again. And what God does with that is there's no end to that, the power of that. Does that make sense, gang? So let's press in. Let's press into the fear of the Lord, right? revering Him, being right with Him as God's people, that we might gain that righteousness that is a blessing from Him right, by grace, and we might gain wisdom. Lord knows we need to just permeate wisdom, right? A quiet reply, engaging people lovingly to hear their, where they're at and get below the surface to their soul, to understand why they believe what they believe, right? With a, with a primary avenue of, of gaining their soul, not converting them politically this direction or that direction, right? Being people of revival, right? And letting that take over. So Father, thank you for this morning and Lord, your word. Lord, we need wisdom, Father. Lord, restore us, encourage us. Let us be people of your word and, and take this deeply inside our souls, Lord. And birth, Lord, this, this presence, Lord. Lord, we might be bold as lions. Let your church rise up. And fear you again, Lord. Healthy fear, reverence, love. Devotion, affection. Lord, we might gain a real understanding of that, that cherished thing of righteousness that we have from your hand, God. It's given by Jesus. We can't attain it. You've given it. We receive it. And then we start walking in it. Lord, that we might be bold as lions. Will Spirit move among your people, Lord, this morning? In your comfort truth, Lord. Boldness, God. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.